I'm Taylor Squellia, and this is Girl, It Is Time to Thrive. Welcome back to another episode. I am so excited that you are here. I'm so happy that you are listening. Today, I have such a wonderful guest, but I'm also a little biased because she is my fake sister-in-law, and I just love her so much. Yes, I call her my fake sister-in-law because, well... She's her her husband is my boyfriend's brother and I've been dating him for like half a decade. So at this point, she's my fake sister in law and she is such a special human being and she's going to talk to us today about an ectopic pregnancy. So I just want to put a trigger warning on this episode. If you struggle with infertility, if you struggle with, you know, you've had miscarriages or you've had a loss or a loss of a child. I want you to protect yourself. I want you to take a moment to pause and think, maybe this episode isn't for me today. And if so, that there is no hard feelings on that. I want you to do what's best for you at all times, okay? So without further ado, let's jump in and I'm going to have you guys meet the most amazing, incredible, fake sister-in-law in the entire world, Brianna Kadelchuk. All right, so today I have Brianna on the podcast, and Brianna is my fake sister-in-law because uh, her brother-in-law refuses to marry me, basically, so I call her my fake sister-in-law because that's how much I love her, and she is going to be sharing just her story of having trouble getting pregnant, having a topic pregnancy, and just really how she kind of fought for herself because the doctors were just telling her that everything was fine when nothing was okay. And I just want her to introduce herself and really just give her a platform to tell other women what ectopic pregnancy is. I had no clue what it was until she went through this. So Brianna, can you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Brianna. I do have one child. He's three. His name's Bo. I also have two dogs. I'm a dog mom just like you are. Um, I work with my family. We own a small diner. So I'm all about the family business. I like to write, read, work out. Um, But my main title right now is just being a mom, raising my son, and writing about it. Honestly, that's my passion right now is motherhood and trying to expand my family. And I find that that is like my main thing that I am passionate about at this time. And you do it so well. Oh, thank you. Bo is literally, her son Bo is the cutest freaking thing in the entire world. He gives me baby fever every time I hang out with him. I'm like, I want a little Bo. Yeah. And he's so well behaved. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, who knows what he's going to do while we're on this (laughs) talk. Yeah, I'm, I'm just waiting for him to run out with, like, no clothes on right now and ask me to wipe his ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whatever. Yeah, it's good. It's comic relief. Because some of the stuff we're going to talk about today is, you know, pretty deep. So you could use a little bit of light. I could just picture <laughs> Bo, like, coming out when, like, the moment's, like, super heavy and he just, like, runs streaking by and just, like, ready to poop outside or something. Yes. Well, one time, I I don't know if I was on Instagram live or if I was just recording something to put on Instagram, but I'm sitting there like deep in my story and he comes over and hits me with like a, I don't know, some kind of toy. And I'm like, this is so embarrassing. Like my kid is over here hitting me. I can't just stop. I can't freak out on him. I can't beat his ass on camera. (laughs) So I just pretended like I was a very calm patient, gentle mom. And I said, please stop that, honey. (laughs) (laughs) You are pretty patient, though. Yeah, pretty calm. That's why he's so well behaved. And he has like real conversations. Like I don't know any three year old that's like can just sit down and like have like a conversation. But he's so good at communicating because you and Brandon communicate so well with him. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I think so, too. But we all think that about our kids. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but I watch from the outside, so it's true. Yeah, I appreciate it. So I know today is going to be a hard thing to talk about. So just take a deep breath. And when you are ready, I just want you to share your story about what you went through. 
All right. So from the beginning, after Bo turned a year old, Brandon and I started to try to have another child. And I was only one year postpartum. I was breastfeeding. So I really didn't expect it to happen fast at all. And it didn't. And months went by, months and months. And I just wondered, like, is this ever going to happen? So I tried to be patient and give my body grace. And um, finally, like nine months after trying, I got what I thought was my period, but it was uncharacteristic of how my cycle normally is. And when you're trying to conceive, you are like so in tune with your body. You, you know, you're just every day anticipating like, okay, am I pregnant? Am I not? It's like you just become obsessed. So I thought that maybe I could be pregnant. So I took a test and the test came back very faint. But also if you're somebody who's trying to conceive, you will put that test in every kind of lighting. You'll take pictures of it. You will make that line count. Like there was a line there. Nobody else could see it, but I could see it. So I waited a few days because the line wasn't quite strong enough to, you know, deem myself pregnant, but I kept an eye on it. So a couple of days go by and I'm still kind of bleeding a little bit, lightly spotting. It's still not a period, but it is spotting, which I don't typically do. I didn't really spot with Bo. It wasn't until um, after I found out I was pregnant that I spotted with him. So um, I called my doctor after a couple of days and said, I think I have a positive test. I can't be sure. I'm kind of bleeding. So I don't really know what to make of this. And she said, well, it could be a chemical pregnancy, which is when your body produces the HCG to give you the positive test, but it never actually like turns into a pregnancy or you're having a miscarriage. So she said in order to, you know, deem this a pregnancy or a miscarriage or whatever, I need you to go do some blood work. So I did some blood work. Um, they do a draw, you know, at any standard lab. And I got my results back that day. And they came back at an eight, which is very low, like five and less is considered not pregnant. So I was barely pregnant. So I said, okay, I'm not pregnant. Um, I'm having a miscarriage, whatever you want to call it. So I called her, I let her know. She said, okay, well, I'd like you to go back for a second draw in another 48 hours, just to make sure those levels went down. And at that point, I was like, I was so upset. I got my hopes up. I was thinking that maybe I was finally pregnant again. And I'm like, I don't want to, I really don't want to go back. Do I have to? She said, mm, okay, at least take a test. In 48 hours, please just take another pregnancy test and let me know. If it's negative, then you don't have to do any more blood work. So I took a test 48 hours later and it came back as a blaring positive. Like it was such a dark line that there was no denying that I, my HCG was rising. I was not miscarrying. If I was miscarrying, it would be getting lower and lower, but it was going, it was rising. So I called her back. I said, okay, well, I just took a test and it's like darker than ever. I took a digital test, which isn't as sensitive as, you know, your standard pregnancy test. And if a digital test comes back, positive, that means your HCG is at least 25, which is, you know, higher than eight. So she said, okay, that's great. Maybe, maybe we just caught this early. Maybe you really are pregnant. And this was just caught early and you're just having a little bit of bleeding, which is normal in early pregnancy. So I said, okay, well, I'll be cautiously optimistic because the whole time I kind of felt like there just wasn't something right. My intuition was telling me this is not Right. Although every person you talk to says, oh, bleeding's normal. I was feeling the opposite. So I remained cautiously optimistic. So I went in for more blood work and my levels were rising appropriately. Your HCG is supposed to double every 48 hours. And mine was. My numbers were still kind of low, but they were doubling. And that's what they want to see. I wasn't in any pain. I was experiencing normal pregnancy symptoms. I had a headache. I had um, a metal taste in my mouth. I was nauseous. So we just assumed that it was a normal, healthy pregnancy. So <laughs> it's, it's like such a series. I'm trying to collect my thoughts here. 
Take your so time. So you go from, yeah, it was like just chapters it felt like. Just every day was a different segment of finding out what was going on inside of me. So after I got the blood work that confirmed that it was rising, she said, call your doctor's or call the, the doctor's office and get your prenatal care going. So I, it was a weekend that I got the blood work done. She was an on-call doctor, which is why I was able to have this conversation with her on a weekend. I was lucky that the on-call doctor just so happened to be my doctor. So call on Monday, get your prenatal care going. So I call on Monday and I tell them that I have a positive pregnancy test and my doctor told me to get, you know, my care going, start, get an appointment and be seen. And the nurses at my office said, well, right here, it shows that your levels are like only out of 60 and that's not really high enough to be seen yet. And that's when I said, okay, but my doctor said that I need to be seen and um, I'm bleeding. So this is obviously a pregnancy that needs to be watched. I'd like to address this bleeding. I, I feel like there's something wrong and I'd like to be seen. And they argued with me. They said, you're not, you're not pregnant enough. Your, when, your levels aren't even high enough to detect anything on an ultrasound. They have to at least be at a 2000 and you're just not close enough. We, you know, there's nothing we can do for you. So I became very frustrated because my doctor was telling me one thing, but now her, you know, I guess you could call them colleagues, were defying her orders and refusing to accept me as a, a patient at that time. So I became really frustrated, but we had a trip planned for our anniversary, and I just wanted to put it in the back of my mind, enjoy the trip, try to celebrate the pregnancy, and just, you know, pretend like everybody was right. Maybe my intuition was wrong. Maybe, you know, I should just listen to the doctors and enjoy myself. So I put that behind me. We go away, and it's Labor Day weekend now, so the office is not open. But it seemed like as soon as we got to New Hampshire, the bleeding got much heavier. And it's important to know that the color of the blood became very dark, like almost purple. And I feel like this was my first warning sign, like, okay, something really isn't right. Because initially it was really light pink blood, which is, you know, standard. But purple, I've never seen anything purple come out of my body, and I've given birth before. <laughs> so... Um, I became nervous. Now we're out of state and I don't know what's going on. No pain still, just purple blood. So I called the on-call doctor and it wasn't my doctor this time. It was another doctor. And he said, well, there's not much we can do for you because the office is closed. If you do feel, you know, like you need care right away, then go to the emergency room. But the only suggestion I can give you is to take another pregnancy test. And if it comes back positive, then that's a good sign. So I took another pregnancy test and it came back very strong, very bold. So I knew that my body was still producing HCG. It wasn't getting any lower. It was getting higher, which kind of contradicted the signs my body was giving me. My body was bleeding, yet the pregnancy was growing. So I said, okay, got a positive test. I guess that's good. And I put it in the back of my mind again. So then we get home from New Hampshire and I think just like the high of the trip was over and I was back in my thoughts and I'm like, okay, this isn't good. I can't just sit here and pretend like everything's okay. I need to address this. This needs to be addressed. So I call my doctor's office again and talk to the nurses. And this time I lie to them. And this is such an important aspect, I think, just for women in general is I think that we're meant, we're perceived as dramatic or that we exaggerate. And if, unless we are like in pain, freaking bleeding out, nobody takes us seriously. It's how they were making me feel. Mm -hmm. So I lied. I said, I am in excruciating pain. I don't know what's going on, but I'm like healing over here. So they said, okay, the, the nurse puts the phone down and I hear her say to another nurse, we have to see her. If we don't see her, this is a liability. And that just went right up my ass. Like, I've been a liability this whole time, but you didn't take me seriously because I wasn't in pain. You just thought I was being dramatic. 
or over-exaggerating or hormonal or the list of excuses you make to make yourself feel better about the fact that you don't listen to your patients. So I'm sitting there laughing and I'm just like, wow. It's almost like I knew exactly what to say to get you guys to finally listen to me. So this was a Wednesday or a Thursday, I think I called. And they said, okay, we can get you in for Monday. Okay, really don't want to wait much longer, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll accept Monday. I was happy that they were finally listening to me and just happy to have an appointment on the calendar. So a few days goes by and I actually do start to feel a little pain. It's not, it's not pain, pain, but like I said earlier, when you're trying to have a baby or you just become so in tune with your body, you know when something's not right. You just, every little thing that happens, you, you know, you're connected. So I start to feel a little nagging, like a little nagging pain and things just, my intuition was really kicking in, like something is just not right here. So I go to the emergency room, tell them everything that's going on with me. And they do three separate scans. They do, because at that point, my HCG was high enough. It finally was 2000. Um, they did a vaginal scan, abdominal. They had me there for hours. I, I can't tell you how many times I was in that the room getting that probe shoved up my vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, they didn't find anything. They found nothing in my uterus, nothing in my tubes, nothing. They didn't see anything. No evidence of any pregnancy. My uterine lining wasn't even thick enough to support a pregnancy. So they said, I don't know. Either your pregnancy is too small to detect or you're having an ectopic, which is a pregnancy of, um, well, I can't really say it's pregnancy of unknown location because most people do know where their ectopic happened. But sometimes they don't, you know, like sometimes people are pregnant and they have no idea where this pregnancy came from. Mm -hmm. So an ectopic pregnancy is when the egg implants outside of the uterus. So it could be in your tubes. It could be in your ovaries. It could be in a um, cesarean scar. Even in rare cases, it adheres to your bladder, like very rare, but it's when this egg just finds any other spot to implant but the uterus. And the egg will not survive outside of the uterus. So like that's why they looked everywhere. They didn't just look in my uterus. They looked in my tubes. They looked in my, my ovaries, didn't find anything. So they said, either you're too early, it's a pregnancy of unknown location, or it's an ectopic. So they send me home in limbo. And I have no answers still. And I'm still bleeding. And now I have that pain. And now I'm starting to feel dizzy. And my shoulder's starting to hurt, which was a very unexpected symptom. I was like, what? what's going on here? So before they left, um, they discharged me from the ER. They did say, we see you have an appointment with your doctor tomorrow. So that's good. You can follow up with them. We're going to monitor this closely. You know, you're you're in good hands. We're going to keep a watch on this. So I was grateful for that. I'm like, well, good thing I have another appointment lined up with my actual doctor, with an actual OBGYN. So the next morning, I call my doctor just to confirm that my appointment is still in the system because I have anxiety. So I just I'm diligent with that stuff. OK, just confirming I have an appointment at 12 o'clock. Oh, no, we don't have you in our system, the woman says. So I'm like, I was in the emergency room yesterday and they confirmed I have an appointment with you. Not only that, I called last week and confirmed I have an appointment with you. So why do you not have me in your schedule? And I freaked out on them. It was such a buildup of emotions and being ignored and not being heard and feeling invalidated. I just unleashed on this poor secretary. And I said, I need to be seen. I am in excruciating pain. I feel like I'm going to die. You need to make time for me. You need to make an appointment. I, I need to be seen by a medical professional that does vagina stuff. Not just an <laughs> ER doctor. <laughs> I need an OBGYN. So, I mean, it was like, I didn't even know who I was at that point. I didn't even recognize myself. Okay, okay, yep, we can get you in at this time. All right, good. Perfect. So happy you can, you know, honor the appointment that you were supposed to give me anyways. 
So I go in, they do another scan, and the doctor says, oh, no. Oh, yeah, this, this isn't good. I, I'm going to need a second opinion. So she pulls another doctor into the room, and just who just so happens to be my doctor. And my doctor says, oh, yeah, that's a three-centimeter mass on her left fallopian tube, and she's internally bleeding. Her tube is rupturing. <laughs> So I'm just sitting there thinking, how did they not see this yesterday in the emergency room? A three centimeter mass does not grow overnight. It does not grow overnight. I'm internally bleeding now. I need to be rushed into surgery right away. Right away. Like, okay, you, you gotta go. We, we need to send you off. That's how fast it happened. That's how serious it was. How was it that 24 hours earlier, nobody saw that? It, my mind was blown and I'm sure you're going to ask me more questions. So I'll like, that's the story. I'll let you like dig a little deeper because there is a lot more to say, but that's the, the fight, yeah. the, the back and forth, the just bullshit. <laughs> I think like the moral of the story is women know their body best. We'll just, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to ask a lot more, but I'm, like one of the things you said was that they think women are dramatic. They always, unless you say you're in excruciating pain, you did not, you wouldn't have gotten an appointment. And I think that is so unfortunate because, you know, obviously less instant, like severe, but when I've gone to the doctors before, unless I say I'm in excruciating pain, which I rarely would say that because I think I have a very high pain threshold. You just, they just kind of like, eh, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think the fact that you had to lie to get, basically get an appointment is just absurd. But um, also when you called like a doctor, the on-call doctor and said I was ble bleeding purple, how did they not think that was concerning? I mean, I know he was a man, but like, you're not supposed to bleed freaking purple out of your vagina. Oh, yeah. Okay, so many questions. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I've heard the story yeah. and I know the story, but I'm still just so blown away of how they just didn't take it seriously. So you're in New Hampshire, you're bleeding purple, you're trying to relax and celebrate because some man, some doctor was like, oh, it's okay, unless you want to go to the emergency room. Your intuition is like going crazy. I mean, how do you, exp like, if someone is going through this, obviously you had to lie, but, like, what are some other things, do you, looking back, besides the bleeding, are there other things that you feel like were warning signs, which, I mean, bleeding is a huge warning sign for that long, I mean. Yeah, um, like I said, initially, no, because I had just normal pregnancy symptoms. I was more nauseous this pregnancy than I ever was with Bo. Mm -hmm. um, the headaches, the just very standard pregnancy symptoms. It was just really intuition for those that first. It went on for about two weeks, and this whole back and question. forth. Yeah. So intuition was probably that first week, just, hey, something's not right. Mm -hmm. And then towards the end, as my tube was rupturing, which is when it's too freaking late, mm -hmm. it is when my body really started to send out the signs like, hey, um, you're dizzy. My shoulders started to hurt, which is a sign of um, internal bleeding. It's very, that's very the most important. If your shoulder tip starts to burn or feel any kind of pain, that's not necessarily that you are internally bleeding. But if you are internally bleeding, it's likely that your shoulder's going to hurt. So okay. I started to have all the telltale signs, like the day before it ruptured. So when you were or at the emergency room? Not even then. It was really the hours before my appointment with my actual OB. Okay. It was the, so it was kind of scary that if I didn't have my intuition, that would have been the day that I showed up, right? I would have started addressing it when it was way too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if so. you didn't have the other appointment, if you didn't fight for that appointment, then yeah. So when you're internally bleeding and your tube is rupturing, that is not obviously dangerous for the baby. That becomes extremely, is it pretty life-threatening for you, right? Yeah. You won't survive. 
if an ectopic pregnancy goes undiagnosed, you'll die. You will just internally bleed. There's no way around it. It's it, it sounds dramatic. It sounds over exaggerated, but that's the, just the truth. We cannot survive. A baby cannot survive in your tube and your tube will rupture because the baby's going to continue to grow or your ovary mm. or wherever it implanted. And it's really the internal bleeding that's going to kill you. Yeah. So since then, excuse me, um, since then, you've learned, you've become quite an advocate for ectopic pregnancy because did you know about ectopic pregnancies before this happened to you? No, but it was on my list of what ifs when I, you know, started with all my symptoms because my grandmother had an ectopic pregnancy and it's not like a hundred percent hereditary, but when I talked to my doctor and I discussed my fear that what if I'm having an ectopic, these signs almost seem to mimic that. She said, well, do you have a family history of it? And I said, well, my grandmother did. And that kind of raised mm-hmm. her eyebrows a little bit because that is a risk factor. There are a list of risk factors, but a lot of times an ectopic pregnancy happens for no good reason. It's just bad luck. So scary. So how, um, what is the healing process, not just physically, but what has the healing process been like mentally and emotionally for you as well? It was, it, my worst fear in life was to not be able to have children. And you could call it irrational because, you know, I had no reason to believe that I would ever struggle to have children. It was just a fear that I had. So after I had Bo, I thought, okay, my fear can be subsided. I, I, I know I can have children. But trying again and starting from square one again, I found myself slipping back into that fear. What if I can't have another child? Or what if I have a terrible miscarriage? What if I get pregnant and the baby, you know, just dies? So my worst fear essentially came true. And that, that's a mind fuck when... Yeah. You have fears, but you never expect them to come true. That's what they are. They're just fears. They're not real. My fear became real. So that was an internal battle for me because I felt partially responsible. I felt like I kind of brought it onto myself and like invited it into my body by thinking these thoughts. Mm. It was a series of emotions. You just go through so many, uh, what if I did this differently or I should have done that. And I had a lot of anger towards the medical field because if I had gotten treatment sooner, I would still have my tube. There's a few forms of treatment with ectopic pregnancies. Surgery, I would say, is the most invasive, and that's like the final you know, lap. But they also have, um, I can't think of the proper scientific term, but um, one where they just kind of watch it and manage it and do ultrasounds and do blood work because a lot of times it will resolve on its own if it's small enough and your body just kind of like attacks it on its own. But most of the time that doesn't happen. The other option is methotrexate, which is a chemotherapy drug. And it basically terminates the pregnancy very slowly. It takes months sometimes for it to work. And a lot of times it doesn't always work because the baby will just grow faster than the methotrexate will work. But it's got a pretty good success rate. So if I did methotrexate, which would have been an option for me, I would still have both of my tubes. I would still have 100% of my fertility. And I feel like I wouldn't be so bitter about the piece of me that they took away that I will never get back. Yeah. Do you, what has your, for being able to get pregnant again, like how does, I don't know how they rate it. I don't know the scientific term, but like, has that gone down because you're missing a tube, I assume? They say it doesn't. They say, well, they say it doesn't get cut in half, like most people would think. They say it gets cut to about 70% because our bodies are amazing. And even when you're missing a tube, your remaining tube can swing over to either ovary. They describe it like a vacuum. And it can just go over to the opposing ovary and kind of suck that egg from the ovary. But it only happens 30% of the time. And I'm I'm thinking it's even less than that. Although you hear lots of stories about women that got pregnant from their tube, the one that's missing a tube, and it doesn't happen very commonly. Yeah. And have you joined support groups and like 
just become like learned like talked with other women who have had this happen yeah and that's helped immensely because a lot of times the women in these groups have lost both tubes if you've had one ectopic pregnancy you're 10 percent more likely to have another one and a lot of these women women have had multiple and now they have no tubes and no children at least i have one tube and one child you know it really puts things into perspective for me how lucky I really am and just to be alive too yeah Um, it broke my heart the other day it it was a a guy in the support group and he said um I joined this because my wife just died from an ectopic pregnancy and I'm here seeking support and my heart just broke because here we are complaining well we have a right to complain we do but complaining about what happened and this guy's wife died you know, <clears throat> yeah, it keeps you grounded and keeps things into perspective for sure. Bo looks sounds like he's having a blast over there. Oh, is he too loud? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's fine. <laughs> he's playing with his dinosaurs. <laughs> it's the. <laughs> I just love the creativity. That's why I smiled. I wasn't smiling at what you said. No, um, I didn't even think. I didn't think that. It does. It puts it into perspective. But like you said, you you had to mourn a loss of like a child because there was a baby in there. You also have to mourn losing part of something in your body. You know, like when women have to have hysterectomies or, you know, breast, you know, when they have breast cancer, anytime you lose something that is part of your like feminine womanhood you know even if you it's not like it's something you saw every day it was a tube inside your body but you lost it and now you had to mourn two things and joining a support group is great and you know looking at it like I have one tube and one child is great but how long did it take for you to get to that perspective because I remember I mean when it first happened no one expected I mean you didn't just turn around like the day after and be like, oh, well, I have one child and one tube all as well. I mean, it took you a while to get through that. So I think, yes, there's perspective, but I also think when a woman and a husband, because how did this affect Brandon? Brandon was in the room, waiting room, waiting for my surgery to be finished, scared as ever because he was at work when I said, Brandon, I'm being rushed into surgery. Your mom has bow. Um, could you please come to the hospital? So that was just terrifying because he didn't know what to expect. So I go into surgery and luckily Brandon is more grounded than me. If that were me waiting in the waiting room, I'd be a wreck. But Brandon, he's pretty stable. So he's sitting there in the waiting room and the doctor comes out, says that she finished up and they took images because in laparoscopic surgery, they use cameras to see where they're doing and they make very small incisions. It's, I don't have a big, you know, and big wounds in my body. It was very, you know, they want to minimize scar tissue, which I appreciated. So they took pictures, which I think is just standard. They have to do that stuff. And they showed them to Brandon. We never got to see this on an ultrasound. I didn't have ultrasound pictures. I'm not sure if I would have wanted them, but there was a baby in me. And Brandon had to see that in a picture. He had to see the sack and the, Mm. you know, that's really all you could see was the sack, but had to know that that was a piece of him and a piece of I, and that's what they took out. And he said that image is burned in my brain. And I had to see that by myself. I had no support. I just had this doctor speaking very medically to me with like little sensitivity to how much this is affecting me as a a dad and a man. Because, you know, obviously when it happens, I think husbands, especially good husbands, when their wife goes through something traumatic, like a miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy or struggling with infertility, the woman, you know, because it's our bodies, it's a very different type of feeling. But then men also are mourning and they're also grieving. But because they're the man and they're our husband, your husband, they kind of just take on your burden and their pain at the same time. And I think Brandon did that and he did it so well and he did it with such love. And, you know, even though he was in pain, he was so, I mean, from looking at the outside and he was so strong for you. He really was. And I had surgery, so he physically had to pick up slack. 
you know, we have another child, so we couldn't just both lay on the mm-hmm. couch and be sad. Um, it was yeah. like having Bo all over again because I had a C-section. It, except for mm-hmm. we didn't have the reward. We didn't have that little bundle of joy. It was just a, a surgery and I left with nothing. So he, yeah. you know, did the dishes, yeah. did the hard things, paid all the medical bills that came in the mail every month. Like, it's another thing. Like, could you just wait a little bit? Let my incisions heal, my stitches dissolve before you send over the bill? Because that sucks seeing that every month. Um, yeah. He constantly says this and I'm, ha- I'm, it makes me sad when I'm happy that he's expressing himself. He says, I never got a chance to be sad because I was too busy taking care of you. And mm. also it's really just not generally accepted for guys to show that they're sad or to mourn or to, it's like they have to move along and be the tough guy and not show any vulnerability. And it, I think he probably has more healing left to do than I do. I would believe that. And I think just knowing Brandon and like, yeah, I would think that, you know, they, they process slower. They're more logical. They're more grounded. But I feel like he processes slower where you, because you're a more anxious person like I am, you just, you absorb it until it's processed where like Brandon and like they go slower, like they... It hurts, so they don't want to process it. They want to find logic in it. They want to find grounding in it. I think a lot of men do that, but they just process slower. And I think it will take him a little bit of time to heal. Yeah. I mean, I am still healing, but I've made so much progress. I started going to acupuncture, which is not only good for my mental state, but um, just healing from the trauma of what happens there. Mm -hmm. I nurtured a baby there, but a baby also died there. My body is so confused. Mm-hmm. My body's like, my body is mourning. And it's mourning separately yeah. from my soul. You know, as hippie as that sounds, hippy dippy, my poor body is like, what happened? You know, there was a baby in there and now then there wasn't. It didn't get to give birth. This baby was aborted. Baby was taken out of me. So mm-hmm. another thing worth mentioning is that weeks later, my milk came in because my poor body I was thought just gonna ask you that question yeah yep so and I'm trying to have grace as I'm sitting here like hoping and praying that my body gives me another baby I'm also like you went through a lot you you probably still think you're in postpartum because our child would be actually next month would be their first birthday so my body's still in this state of we're taking care of a little baby aren't we I mean I thought we had a mm-hmm. baby <clears throat> Yeah, I think you said it. You have to give yourself grace for, you know, like it's not your fault for having an ectopic pregnancy. It's not your fault for struggling with infertility and it's not your body's fault either. Um, Like you said, you do have Bo and hopefully praying uh, that you will be blessed with another child when your body fully heals, when the trauma of what happened heals and for some people, that could be a year. For some people, it could be two years. But you are a great mom, and you've handled this with such grace. You've used your story to, like, talk to other people about it because, you know, I bet so many people didn't even know what an ectopic pregnancy was. But because you are willing to share your story, now if someone is pregnant with their first child, they don't know what this Like, they don't know anything you know, until you go through it, you really don't know. But then because you shared your story, if they're like, you know what, something seems wrong. Something doesn't seem right. Or, oh, I heard Brianna's story and this is kind of similar. Like maybe I should call the doctor and like fight for it. So I think being able to share your story, I think you're going to impact a lot of other people. And I think that will be rewarded one way or the other. I don't know what that looks like, but I do believe that. Yeah, I, I love that. And somebody has reached out to me and she's got three kids, so she knows what it's like to be pregnant. But she said something wasn't right. They dismissed me. I advocated because what I've read and what I've seen and what I've heard from you, and it turns out I was having an ectopic pregnancy. 
and they were able to treat me with methotrexate, they caught it in time. So thank you. You saved my life. You saved my fertility. That's just one girl. If that's the only person I've helped, I mean, that's my job. My job is done. You know, one, I saved some, I don't know you could say I saved her life, but I saved her a lot of grief. Where, so I know you're writing about it and you're talking about it. And where can people like find you and learn more? Or if they have questions, are you open to people reaching out to you? Yeah, definitely. So I have my blog, which I started after I had Bo because motherhood was inspiring to me. And I felt like people weren't sharing the truth. And I wanted to be that person to share the truth. So I started a blog just solely to write about motherhood. And then it kind of transitioned into loss and trying to conceive. And it it became more than what I thought it was going to be. But it's helped people. And not only writing about motherhood, but writing about loss. And you can kind of find anything in between in this blog. I don't write all the time because I like to just be thoughtful and purposeful and I don't like to just put things out there that aren't like poetic and I don't know. It's just the way I am. It's got to be like a work of art, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. um, it's babyboluga.com. So Bo as in B-E-A-U, Luga. And um, then there's my Instagram too. I I sometimes will talk about ectopic pregnancies on there. I've considered making a separate Instagram account, but what if I don't want to be vulnerable? You know, what if I just don't want to put myself out there one day? Like, it's not an everyday thing. It's sometimes there's, there's a lot of things that we're doing right now, Brandon and I, to try to conceive. And I'm not quite ready to share it with people. I, I don't want to put it all out there and just risk. I don't know. I, I'm all about energy. I only want, well, I only want like positive, positive, happy, good stuff coming my way. And I feel like if I put out too much, I might not get that. So, well, I will put the blog in the show notes and to kind of make the moment a little lighthearted since Bo is just being so freaking cute over there. Can you tell us the latest funny story about Bo? Because she is a great storyteller. Her son, Bo, does the most hilarious things. I swear to God, you guys make me laugh all the time. So what is the latest funny Bo story? I am so happy you asked. It's almost like you knew. (laughs) And I asked Brandon when he got, because we were just went to New Hampshire again. It's our favorite place for my 30th birthday. He just got back to work yesterday. So I'm like, did you tell everybody? And this is the difference between me and Brandon. No, I wouldn't share that. Come on. Meanwhile, I've been telling everybody. <laughs> and it's not even like the best story, but so I think I know what story you're gonna tell because uh Dave, Brandon and Tim's father, because Tim's my boyfriend, he told us a story yesterday and I laughed so freaking hard. So if this is the good. same story, I'm ready to hear it. If Dave shared it, it had to be good. Yes. So the place we stayed at was more of a house and it, our house is small. So to stay in this house that was twice the size was something we're not used to. We're not used to having all that space. And there were a lot of sliding glass doors. There was like one in every bedroom, a lot of ways for Bo to escape. So we were outside enjoying the view and periodically we'd go in and check on Bo and he'd be watching his tablet, playing with the dinosaurs. Good. Go back outside, hang out for a little bit. Go back and check on Bo. Brandon, this is like probably the third or fourth time he went to check on him. I can't find him. He's he's not in the house. So now, you know, I'm panicking because we're in another state. We're in the middle of the fucking woods. Like the, the woman who checked us in said, watch out. The bears are waking up. So all I can think about is, you know, my son, some fucking bear. <laughs> You know, I'm thinking of every worst possible case scenario. So Brandon was runway. I run the other. I'm on the outside of the house. Brandon's the inside. So finally, I hear Brandon from across the way. I found him. And I'm like, okay, what's wrong? I stepped in his shit. He came outside and shit on the patio. (laughs) And I just stepped in it. (laughs) He had flip-flops on, which 
is better than barefoot, but like not as good as a BMW. Uh, no. So ask me why Bo went outside to shit because he's like mildly potty trained. He, he wears diapers, but he's pretty good about using the potty when we're at home. Well, when we were hiking earlier, I had to pee. So I squat to pee. I don't stand like dad. So every time I peed, Bo thought I was taking a shit. So he wanted to be like mommy and shit outside. <laughs> so it became my fault that Brandon stepped in shit. Uh, of course. All I can think of it, that saying is, does a bear shit in the woods? Does Bo shit in the woods? Yeah. So then I told my mom. And uh, I said something about needing to step on a stool. And she's like, no, no, that's Brandon. And he steps on stools. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the best part is that brandon stepped on it we love brandon but we love to make fun of brandon oh totally i mean i was happy we found Bo. not proud that we lost him but i'll never let my my parenting get in the way of a good story you know i'm I'm gonna share with everybody i'm not ashamed we found him and act like you've never lost a kid (laughs) you know we all have Oh yeah, I mean you heard it's not like you like lost him, lost him. Like he was in the he was on the property. For a second it he did just feel exploring. like we lost him though. Like I was my mind went in every direction. Mm-hmm. But like I said, the best part <laughs> of this story is when Dave, Bo's grandfather, told the story, he thought that Bo pooped outside because the dogs poop outside and Bo thinks he's a dog. Oh, that's that's valid too. But I think he would yes, have done it before. Like yeah, I agree with that. But I started cracking up because Bo likes to drink out of the water bowls of the dogs, like the dogs do, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he does. Which is... Yeah, um, so either way. <clears throat> what are you doing? Which is funny because, you know, when COVID was in full effect, everybody's washing their hands and disinfecting. And I was too. You know, cleaning all my grocery bags and being really thorough. But then Bo would come home and drink out of the dog dish. And I'm like, why am I even bothering? You know, (laughs) because kids are still going to eat their boogers and drink out of the dog dish. So Uh bite their toenails. (laughs) Well, I am so thankful that you came on today to share your story and then to give us some comic relief at the end. Thank you. I just wanted to say thank you. Balanced in that way. You are very balanced, like the most balanced person I know. Well, thank you, because I used to be very unbalanced, like had no, couldn't be too, do too many things at once because I couldn't like spread myself out. But now I really do feel like I'm just moderate. I'm, you know, yeah. found my happy place. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy I got to share this valuable information and if you are somebody that feels like this pertains to you I would definitely check out my Instagram because there is a little more thorough and well thought out information and just like symptoms and um, things to look out for and risk factors and just a lot of good information that it's just good to have not just for you but a family member uh, you know your sister your wife it's it's good information to know because it could end up being relevant to you one day. Yeah. I'll make sure I put everything in the show notes so they can find you because it's true. They they should give you a follow because you do the comic relief and the val- valuable information too. Thank you. I appreciate that. I know that was a lot of information and I hope that you guys loved Brianna and really respected her vulnerability and her honesty because the point of this episode wasn't to scare you or to upset you or for you to just feel so bad for her. The point of this episode was to know that our bodies are capable of so many different things and an ectopic pregnancy can happen. I had no idea what an ectopic pregnancy was until Brianna went through this. So I just want you to know that do not go live in fear, but if something isn't right, especially if you're conce- trying to conceive or, you know, 
wherever so many different areas of your life if something's not right with your body listen to that gut feeling listen to what your body is telling you because it's always going to tell you something so that was the point of this episode and I hope that you guys enjoyed it and I hope that you learned something from it please you know subscribe and leave a review press five stars it takes half a second to do and it always means so much to me and if you can even screenshot, you know, the fact that you're listening to it, put it in your stories and tag me on Instagram at Taylor Squellia. That I really appreciate too. I love seeing you guys when you do that. It makes me so happy. As always, guys, be kind to someone, eat some good food and pat yourselves on the back because it is your time to thrive. And that starts within. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.